a place where we talk about what it's really like to turn 30. I'm your host, life coach Emma Wilson, and I'm here to help you get unstuck, feel better, and be more confident at 30. Today's guest episode is all about turning 30 and egg freezing. But before we dive into this week's topic, I wanted to quickly talk to you about my new group course, which I'm really excited to announce will be opening its doors in the middle of June for an early July start date. Most of you found me and are listening to this podcast or you follow me on Instagram because in some way or another, you feel that there's something about your life that you would love to achieve more. You want to be fully happy. You want to live an aligned life, an authentic life, something that you're really proud of. Maybe you already have that and you just want to keep getting that and maintain that. Or maybe you don't have that and you really want to build this next chapter of your life. Perhaps you're not happy in your job. Maybe there's something you want to improve in your relationships. Or maybe even just your lifestyle and the way that you operate daily just doesn't feel like it's right for you right now. But whatever brought you here, I know one thing to be true. And the one thing that we all have in common is that we want to build our next chapters. We want to make sure that our next action steps are going to bring us closer to the life that we really want to live. A life that doesn't just look good on the outside, but it also feels good on the inside. And that's exactly the reason why I have developed my new group course, which is aptly called The Next Chapter. And the course is designed to give you all of the coaching skills and tools that you need so you can go away without any help from me and build a life in your 30s that you absolutely love. I've taken all of the things that I've learned in the past four years of being a coach and coaching myself and then going on and coaching so many 30-somethings, women in their late 20s, early 30s, even late 30s, who just all wanted to build their next chapters. I've gathered all the data, all of the concepts, everything I work with day in, day out, and I've put them all together in a group container that's accessible and affordable. The next chapter is a special course that's a hybrid of live interactive workshops and self-paced pre-recorded study modules giving you freedom and flexibility to study at your own pace in your own time but also that great live interaction and you'll get contact with me and others in the program every other week. In addition to this you get an accompanying workbook which you can download or even print and also an exclusive Facebook community because that's what's so important to me is that you get to go on this journey of building your next chapter with other like-minded individuals who are also invested in their self-growth and personal development. If this sounds like something you could be interested in, I'm running a 100% free mini course which is going to teach you in simple terms the three-step process that the course dives into and it's going to take place from Monday, June the 14th. If you're interested, go to the link in the show description or go to my Instagram at turning30coach and click the link in the bio and select free mini training. I cannot wait to see you all there. Now, Let's talk about the podcast episode that I've been waiting to record for so long, Turning 30 and Egg Freezing. And I'm so honored and excited to host my friend and client, Nikki Clare, who bravely completed three rounds of egg freezing in the past 20 months during COVID. Let me introduce Nikki. Nikki is 35 years old and is based in London, where she lives with her eight-month-old Cavapoo puppy, Dinky. Nikki has worked in the world of events for the last 14 years and is currently head of events at the magazine publisher, Hearst. 
She's wanted to be a mum for as long as she can remember. She adores her four and two-year-old nephew and niece and hopes to have her own family one day soon. But for now, little Dinky keeps her busy. Hi, Nikki, and welcome to the Turning 30 podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Ned, thank you for coming on. I cannot believe how many times we've tried to record this slash been talking about it forever. And we're finally, finally it's happening. <laughs> it really is. 2021 is officially the year where we actually make it happen. <laughs> exactly. So I thought it would be nice just to tell the audience how we know each other and also I guess how you found the Turning 30 brand and how you found me was through the podcast, which was almost, I can't believe it, it's almost one year ago, back in August of 2020. Yeah, I feel like it's so nice that it's come full circle and actually just that for everyone listening Nikki and I coach together via the podcast she found the turning 30 coaching program and we've been coaching together for a really long time now and it's safe to say we've become good friends and it's such a pleasure to host you here and like I said just come full circle that you're now a guest on the podcast yeah it's a pretty awesome story to tell for sure and I when I first heard the podcast that you did last August I just was like wow this really resonates and so for me to now have the opportunity to be a guest on your podcast is really amazing and I hope that my story might resonate with someone else because yeah when I heard your um, interview with Jenny that really kind of clicked in me so hopefully the same will happen for me. Yeah, I love that. And Jenny is actually the second guest who came on the podcast to talk about turning 30 and being single and is a friend of of yours. So um, that was just a really nice way that you discovered it and that we met. And I also wanted to talk about how you've become a spokesperson, basically. Uh, Very not on purpose, but you were interviewed, was it by Cosmopolitan um, magazine? about egg freezing and I know since then you were also invited to do a live on it uh, with another coach how did it happen that you have become I guess this this figure talking about egg freezing and how did it feel to open up about it and speak so honestly and authentically about it yeah I mean I guess so I've always been someone who believes in kind of breaking taboos because the whole thing about a taboo is it's something that people don't talk about and therefore it it creates this stigma around it and I've been quite open about talking about things like mental health and when I went through the process of egg freezing I just was like this is such an important thing that no one talks about we hear a lot about IVF egg freezing in, in itself is not something many people know about so when I went through the process of it initially I, I went through three cycles and for my first cycle I only really shared it with Christ friends and family but over time I talked to more and more people and realized that actually so many people would love to know more about this so by the time it got to doing my third cycle I was really open with it and I posted about it on my Instagram and I've got a private Instagram account but I happened to work with one of the magazine publishers um, who published Cosmopolitan and the features director approached me a few months later and just said look we're doing a piece around people of the pandemic they called it and it's about people who've done something amazing or challenging or been through a challenging time during the pandemic and they asked whether I'd be happy to share my story about um, going through egg freezing in, in the year of 2020 and for me it was an absolute honour to be asked um, and I immediately said yes I'd love to uh, share my story and really my reason for doing so was that if it helps one other person then it's totally worth it because the reason I found out about egg freezing was through another friend telling me about it so I guess it's passing that on. I have to admit it felt very surreal when the actual article got published in a in a nationwide magazine um, and I 
still have a copy on my coffee table right now. And my mum has one at home as well. But yeah, it was very surreal because it's kind of like, wow, my story is out there. But I also felt immensely proud. And the reaction that I got from so many people was so encouraging. So many messages when I posted it on my Instagram, just people saying thank you so much for talking out about it. And then, yeah, I've kind of been asked to talk about it a couple of times. And for me, it's just a great opportunity to break that taboo. And it's something I believe so passionately in. So yeah, very happy to do so. Wow. Yeah. You should 100% be proud of sharing it. I love that about breaking taboos. And I think it's so important because there definitely is now more of a hype and less of a stigma about egg freezing, but it's definitely something that's happened. I really think in the past 12 months, even six months. And I think it's so important that there are people like you who are so authentically sharing their story. And it isn't just women who are going through IVF because as we'll discuss later in the episode, it is very different. IVF going through, you know, and it's not kind of comparing what's worse or, you know, what's more difficult or anything like that. It's just, it is a very different process. There's a different intention behind it. There's different emotions behind it going through IVF with a partner is very different to making a decision to freeze your eggs alone, which many people, some people choose to freeze when they're with a partner, but many women are choosing to freeze because they are single. So it's so important that people are speaking up about it because it's very recent that there is even all the information available. And the reason that this podcast episode has come about for me is because egg freezing came up when you were doing your third cycle, when we were coaching together. And I remember we were finishing a session once and I just was like, wow, Nikki, I have so many questions for you because I have also started to explore and now have actually already made the decision to to freeze my eggs in, in the coming months. And I had so many questions for you and was really excited to ask you and just thought, let's just do it live because you know, then I'm kind of, I'm using the podcast as a way to get all the information that I need. But at the end of the day, I'm sure that so many listeners here, so many of my audience are curious and want to know more. So before we even start, you know, talking more technical things and and asking you about the process itself, I do just really want to thank you because it's very brave and courageous to come and speak publicly and openly about this, this topic. So thank you so much for doing it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. So let's get started. And I think the best place to start is the decision to freeze your eggs. So you mentioned already that you've done the three cycles. And I know that this was something that you started a few years ago now. So I'd love just to hear how you even heard about egg freezing. I know you mentioned it was through a friend and what process you went through when you were trying to decide whether it was the right next step for you. And then ultimately what led you to going through with it? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess for me, it started back in, well, kind of the whole thing started back in February 2019, where I came out of a long term relationship that was pretty toxic. But at the time had been a relationship that I thought might kind of be the one and go long term and have children. And so post that all kind of breaking down, um, and then quite a lot of other changes going on in my life and going through a really challenging period of being very unsettled, I actually stepped back and protected my mental health and took four months out of work and just needed some space to kind of do some healing. Um, And one of the things that I did as part of that was took myself out of the UK and I went to Bali for six weeks and I went on a healing, a variety of healing retreats over there. And in my first retreat, a lot of the girls that were there were also 
opposite, we're American. And I got chatting to one of the girls there who worked for Facebook. And somehow I think, you know, being in your mid thirties, it comes up the topic of children or family or, you know, those kind of things. We started talking about wanting kids and she referenced that she'd gone through egg freezing. And that was, to be honest, one of the first times I'd really heard about it. In her situation, Facebook actually pay for you to have your eggs frozen. It's one of the amazing perks that they do. And in the US, it seems to be quite a common thing. So that kind of triggered my interest in it. But I didn't really think that much more of it, if I'm honest, at that time. And that was in my first retreat. I then went into a program for four weeks called Unsettled. And I met the most amazing group of 12 other women and men. And three of them have gone on or four of them actually have gone on to become kind of lifelong friends but within that group as well there was two girls again both American who'd also been through the process of egg freezing both in their mid to late 30s and they kind of shared with me in detail what the process is and how it works and it just really made me think actually where it felt like that year a lot of my hopes and dreams had kind of been shattered in terms of wanting a family and moving my personal life forward I guess it was the opportunity to say I could take regain some control here and I could go and figure out whether or not egg freezing is the right thing to do for me and to try and kind of almost protect some future um, opportunities I guess for me to have a child so literally within I think a week of getting back from Bali I found a an open evening that was actually specifically for single women at a fertility center in Harley Street and so I went along to this open evening and the, and this is when we were allowed to do things physically and the first thing I noticed walking in was there was about 15 other girls all similar age to me and it was the first time I was like oh I'm not the only one you know I'm not the only one left on the shelf and all of those kind of feelings that had been going on in my head and I sat there for this open evening and actually it was talking about a lot of different fertility options but it had quite a big focus on egg freezing so they talked through very much the technical process the science of it all and talk you through your options and I knew pretty clearly there and then that I was going to want to proceed with doing something around kind of my fertility and the first stage of it is to book for what they call a um, M- uh, fertility MOT. Mm-hmm. So I booked in for that there and then and had it at the start of December. And the fertility MOT is basically to check your AMH level, which is your anti-malarian hormone. And that's an indicator of like your egg reserves. It's essentially helping you to guide like how many eggs you've got left, because we all know we're born with a certain number of eggs and then over time um, they decrease. And then it also checks kind of the state of your ovaries and your follicles and checks that kind of everything's healthy. So I kind of quite blindly went into that fertility MOT. It consisted of a blood test and then an internal scan just assuming everything would be fine yeah I didn't for one second think there'd be any issues and I'll never ever forget the day that I went back in it must have been mid-December to get the results of um, my fertility MOT and I sat down with the doctor who advised that my AMH levels were I can't actually remember the number but I think it was 5.4 on a scale of 4.5 to 50 which meant I was extremely extremely low it didn't mean I was infertile or it doesn't mean I'm infertile what it does mean is that my um, egg reserve is low so for my age I've got quite a low number of eggs the doctor said the words I guess every girl dreads hearing which is your biological clock is really ticking you need to take action and I was just in a state of shock to be honest it was so much to take in and it was just so unexpected I then went through and had my um, internal scan and everything was actually looking fine internally which is obviously really reassuring but by then I was just trying to process this huge statement that this doctor had told me and what they'd recommended was that I press ahead and get three cycles of egg freezing so I then left the clinic 
burst into tears, rang my mum and I just howled down the phone to her because I was just in such shock. Um, and it was kind of the one thing I've always wanted to be a mum. Talk to kind of 15, 16 year old Nikki and I've always, always wanted kids. So to suddenly be told at the age of, what was it at that stage, 33, 34, that I had a low egg count, it was pretty devastating. But I actually pretty quickly managed to flip it in my head to rather than being devastated and feeling hopeless, actually A, I hadn't been told I was infertile, so I felt grateful for that, that I still had options. And B, that actually I could now take control of this and I could do something about it. I'm in a, I was in a fortunate position that financially I could proceed with egg freezing and my parents really supported me and I had a support network around me so I pretty much decided there and then that I would go ahead with the egg freezing so that was middle of December and I started my first cycle in January and so the the hormones that you start to inject yourselves with arrived um just before Christmas and I'll never forget we put them in the fridge at my parents house and I was I wrote a note on them saying please don't you know, don't damage these as Nikki's potential future children. Um, <laughs> we made kind of light of it, I guess. But that was kind of really where the journey began. But for me, I mean, I'm a very decisive person. So as soon as I got those results of that MOT, I was like, I have to press ahead and I have to do something about it. I guess it's taking those action steps that allowed me to feel more empowered by it. Wow, that decision was almost made for you as soon as you got the results. From what I'm hearing, you didn't really have any doubts at that point. You knew that it was something that you wanted to do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I, th I think that is different, you know, for each person and for anybody listening. I think there's so many different factors to take into account. And I guess most women who probably would be in your situation would, would want to do that, would take it into their own hands. And actually, I think it's crazy because, you know, you were 33, you said, when you, when you had these tests. Yeah. And I'm also 33 and I, I recently had the MOT test to just do the checks before. And I didn't have the AMH test because here covered in the healthcare you can get all the other tests so there's another test you can do called the day three tests which is where you have blood tests on the third day of your cycle so the third day after you come on your period where basically they're testing the lsh levels and the the fh maybe just made that one up yeah MH, yeah, there's lots of acronyms. Yeah, loads of different acronyms, loads of different hormones that I didn't know anything about. It's actually amazing when you think how our how our bodies, our female bodies work. And I had those tests and also the internal checks and the scan. So they basically do a follicle count. Yeah. So when they do the internal test, they basically they check on each ovary your follicles, which are a good indicator of how many eggs will then go on to be produced per month it's not exact an exact indicator which is why they recommend if anything comes up that's not normal to have the AMH but I think it's country specific and I think it's clinic specific so I think some clinics would definitely just say let's go for the AMH from the start and some say let's do the day three tests and see but I just wanted to share also my journey even though I'm very much at the start of it that I had those tests and it just came back as normal it was just not high not low just exactly what you would expect for a 33 year old woman I then discussed it with the doctor and the doctor said they really recommend that I, I do the egg freezing they, they were very much like if you have the means to do it and like you said the support system around you we very much recommend just going ahead with it as an insurance policy and I am really on board but for me I still haven't pulled the plug yet because I think there are, you know, those, the decisions for me 
or should I just wait a little bit longer? You were in a very different position. For me, it's like, oh, should I just wait another six months? And then the six months have gone past. And I'm like, oh, I'll just wait another six months after that. And, you know, doing it uh, alone, I think is a big deal. When I say alone, you know, obviously we'll have friends and family to support us, but not with a, a romantic partner. And of course, the financial consideration. So I think they're the things that anybody listening who wants to, you know, go ahead and do the test or go ahead and actually even just open that door in their head to thinking about it there I guess the main factors that you would probably take into account can you can you think of anything else that someone might want to consider I mean I guess there's there's just two other things that spring to mind and one of them was your reference of the term insurance policy and that's very much how I looked at it but I think the other thing to go into this with is really eyes wide open it's not an insurance policy that will definitely pay out so you have to go into it knowing that whilst you're giving yourself another option by freezing some eggs and they may go on to produce a baby one day for you there is zero guarantees so all of those eggs might not fertilize so it's it's something to really consider when you're kind of thinking about the emotional the financial toll of it all and the physical toll it's not a guarantee but for me, I guess it was, it gives me some kind of additional option. So that was, that was just something to bear in mind. And then I think the other thing, you've kind of touched on it already, but it's just, it's, it's really thinking about your support network and, and who you're going into the process with and just making sure that you're kind of well supported throughout. That's, that's really important. But as you've just said, it's so, it varies in every country. The prices vary dramatically. The amount of time you can store an egg for um, varies. In the UK, legally, you can only have them for 10 years. In America, it's unlimited. So there's lots of different things that you have to kind of be aware of, country specific. But yeah, I think you've covered you've covered the main considerations for sure. Yeah, and I think anybody who is listening, and I have listeners from all over the world, I would recommend just doing that research to check all of the things. Because for example, like you said, the fact that in the UK you can only hold it for 10 years, that means you may want to do it at age 30, but then you would only, your eggs would only then be available to you until 40 and some people would want to use them well beyond that age so it's definitely something just to look into and a question for you do you think that women should have their fertility MOT earlier do you think that that's something that should be be considered or not because it's something that's come up for me is you know when I went to have those tests I was nervous because I've never I've never thought about it before never really thought oh you know, what are my fertility levels? And it's always just felt like a given that, you know, you know, and and you hear so many people. And I think there is on social media these days, so many more people speaking out about infertility and about IVF journeys. And it's definitely becoming a lot more normal to share that. But I guess in some way in the generation that we're from, we've just grown up expecting that if we, if and when we want to have children, we can have it. So do you think women should be be more aware and and have the MOTs earlier? I think it's a really interesting question. I think it very much comes down to personal choice. And and I've spoken to a few people about this and someone I know who has debated getting a fertility MOT, she's a few years older than me, actually, she said, "I, I don't want to know because actually if I found out, for example, that I was infertile or that I had a very, very low egg count, she was like, would I then, and she's single, she was like, would I then go into a future relationship with that in mind? And would I feel that I had to disclose that to my other half? Or is it something that actually I want to discover if I got into a romantic relationship and discover that together? So I think it's it's a really personal choice. In my situation, I'm so glad I found out when I did because I was able to do something about it. And it probably would have been 
more of a shock to perhaps one day ended up with a romantic partner and and then experience it then and wish that actually I'd found out five years earlier and I'd been able to do something about it. So yeah, I think it's a bit of a double-edged sword and I think it really comes down to individually what you would want to do with that information if you found out, for example, that you had low headcount and how will you process that and are you in a position to then be able to act on it if you wanted to. So I think there's lots of different things to think about. But I do think it's important that the topic of it is more widely spoken about and some of the myths around it are kind of busted. And, you know, there's the whole one around your fertility drops off the edge of a cliff at 35 is one of the key ones. There is some truth in it. We can't kind of get away from that. We all know as, as a female biological clock ticks, it, your fertility does decrease. And it, it comes down to a lot more around kind of the quality of the eggs. But it's not like the day you're 35 and sorry, 34 and one day before your birthday and then the next day you suddenly got no eggs left. It's it's not that extreme. So I think it's it's useful that it's a topic that gets more talked about. And one of the things you could do is have a fertility MOT. I don't know, in your late 20s, discover that you've got a really good egg count, happy with that and think, okay, I don't need to do anything or don't want to do anything now. But then two or three years later, you may see that your egg count has dramatically reduced and so you may want to spring into action. So for me, knowledge is power. And that's kind of one of the mantras that I really try and live by. But it very much depends how you process that kind of information and whether it sits comfortably with you as an individual. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. And I think it is just a personal choice, which I know is kind of the theme of what we keep coming back to here. But it really is. I think egg freezing in general is a personal choice. Anything around a woman's body and, you know, how you decide to act is personal choice. I agree. We need to be speaking up about it more. And I want to just, I have so many different questions for you. I don't know where to start. <laughs> I want to just take what you said about the the myth, about the, the 35 cliff, because... Although there is some truth in it, because each year we were born, like you said, with a certain amount of eggs and each year that amount of eggs decreases. And then when you're in your thirties, the quality, like you said, of the eggs dramatically decreases as each year goes on specifically after the age of 34, 35 until you're in your early forties. But, and a really big, but because genuinely before I started to research this, I thought that what you said, like you literally turned 35 and then all of a sudden it was like, that's it, you're done for. If you've not got a partner or you're not trying for a baby, then, you know, you're screwed. And it's just not true. And I actually went to a couple of doctors when I was trying to find the doctor who I would eventually want to be part of the process of egg freezing. And the first one was a scaremonger. And he was very much like, you must do it before you're 35. You must, you must, you must. And then I really took time to research it and I was also listening to a podcast that I think you told me about, the Freezing Time podcast by, I'm going to try and say her name right, Sophia Money Coots, has a great podcast uh, about her freezing her eggs. And I took that and explored it, listened to it, and also did research. And then went back to another doctor who actually told me that nothing happens on your 35th birthday. It's, there's not a cliff. It doesn't dramatically reduce between 34 and 35. There's something in the media. There's something in, I don't know where it's come from, that has basically socially conditioned women to think that by 35, they have to do something specific. And really the truth is that it's more around the age of 37, 38. I was told that you really, that's the point that freezing eggs becomes more of a, if you want to do it, then it should be around that age. And actually doing it, 33, 34, 35 is considered young-ish to do it. So had you also found that in your research? And what do you think about the 35 cliff as, as a 35-year-old? Yeah, I mean, so I definitely found that in my research. And 
I think I probably had the same experience, if I'm honest, with the first doctor who told me my biological clock was ticking. There was definitely an element of scaremongering going on there. And, you know, this may sound cynical, but they're also charging you a lot of money. And so I kind of was like, are you just trying to push me into this? Or, or you know, what's, what's the situation? Obviously, I had the science backing up of these tests, but even the tests can be quite controversial. Checking your AMH, there's lots of research online that says actually it doesn't really show anything. And I know when I spoke to a few friends who I told them my AMH levels were low, they were like, oh yeah, one of my really good friends has had that, but she's gone on to have three kids, no issue at all. So I think it is about doing your research and making your own kind of informed decision. I think Breather kind of 35, and it's something you and I have done in our in our coaching quite recently, because I turned 35 in April, I had this belief that 35 was the cutoff, and that actually really started manifesting for me in a lot of areas of my life. Um, and I think it is partly like this societal thing that, you know, fertility falls off the edge of the cliff at 35, you know, you're on your way to 40, and you know, you should be settled and have three kids and be married, etc. And um, so there is certainly a lot of kind of social pressure that I think is around all of us. And then you throw in some Something like fertility into that mix and it becomes this kind of pressure cooker and then you can start to make decisions that actually aren't necessarily that well informed so I think you know as you've said doing your research is super super important but also looking at yourself as an individual you're not just a statistic you're not just a number your personal circumstance will vary from one woman to another there may be a 45 year old woman who has amazing egg count amazing egg quality and a 25 year old who has really low egg quality so you know, it's not one size fits all. So doing the research and getting your information is, is kind of the most effective thing I think you can do. And then to decide from there what's right. Yeah. And then just to pick up on what you were saying, to just not have a freak out the day before you turn 35, because it is just another day. And I know that sounds ridiculous and really obvious, but I think sometimes what happens with my clients that, you know, I brand myself as the turning 30 coach, but the truth is I coach women my youngest client's 25, my oldest client's 38 and everything in between. And you started coaching with me when you were 34. But I think what happens sometimes with my clients who are in the 30 bracket, so they are 28, 29, 30, is that they do the thing where they have the manuals. So if you listen to this or any of my content before, you know that I talk about turning 30 manuals. So what your life should look like when you're turning 30 and they just delay that to 35 they just say okay so at 30 you know it didn't work out but it will by 35 and I really try to move them away from those thoughts as well because it really is just taking expectations from one age and delaying them to another because the truth of the matter is is that we are victims of our social conditioning we have we receive messages all the time from all around from tv shows to popular culture to our parents and our teachers and our friends and family who are basically telling us that we have to have something by a certain age i.e 30 you should have a good job be in a relationship and 35 equals you must have had kids or be in the process of trying and it's just not true and i think it's just really important to say that for anybody listening who is in that category of 30 wanting to delay till 35 or, or anyone who's in their mid 30s and beyond nothing happens on that day and you know it from just turning it and we did so much good work around it but i just really wanted to you know draw on that because i think it is a mindset thing it is sure. it absolutely is you know coupled with kind of social norms and i remember my mom had my sister at 38 and at that time my sister's now 25 at that stage like 38 was like considered old and you know geriatric and in fact I think the term still for a, a mother over 35 I think it is is geriatric and it's kind of like geez 
35 is not geriatric, but you know, some of these terms that we're used to that become part of our social norms, they also reinforce some of those kind of concerns that some of us then start to have individually. Whereas now actually you hear much more the opposite of if someone has a child at like 27, 28, people are like, oh wow, she's young. And it's so weird how it's totally flipped on its head. And actually there is no right time. It's when it's right for you in your personal circumstance. And there shouldn't be a judgment either way. And I think we're slowly getting to that stage where it's much more acceptable, but we've still got a way to go. Yeah, I agree with you. And actually, when I was in Costa Rica, I really was opened up to women doing things much later. I met a lot of women who were in their late 30s who were not even worried about having kids. And they, I think a lot of people there were moving away from the definitions of Western medicine and were kind of more open and in that more spiritual community. But I had a really empowering conversation one day with a woman who actually used to be a famous supermodel, basically, in New York. She was on the cover of, she was a cover girl. She was on the cover of Vogue and she had moved to Costa Rica in her late 30s, 39 she was, and she was single and really wanted kids, really wanted to be a mother and met her husband in her 39th year and had had a baby three years earlier when she was, I met her when she was 45 and she was 42 when she had her first baby and she was trying for her second baby. And she just turned to me and said to me, don't believe all of the bullshit basically that you can't have kids in your early forties. It is harder. She said, you know, I was really, she, she was very lucky. She didn't struggle, but that obviously is evidence around that people don't have a baby as easily, but she, it just really reassured me. So it was really nice, like you said, to hear those stories and see how things are gradually changing. And I'm hoping that the more people speak out about that and the more these stories become more common, Western medicine will eventually catch up with that and stop calling women who have babies over the age of 35 geriatric, because we hate that term. Yeah. Okay, great. So let's go and talk about the process itself. So you made that decision and you, for a Christmas present, got all your lovely hormones and your injections. So I just really want to know about how it actually was and tell me how it was injecting yourself. Cause that's something that it wouldn't make me not do it, but I am nervous to think about having to put the needle in my stomach. It, it does feel a bit daunting and I think certainly when I had all my medication lined up in the fridge I was like wow I've got to put all of that in me and we've touched on it before but it's for, for many people going through egg freezing not by no means not everyone but it, it ends up being quite a solo process and so that was kind of quite overwhelming but the, the kind of technicalities and the way the actual process starts um, so you order all your medication you have it kind of ready to go and you call the clinic on the first day of your cycle. So the first day your period arrives um, and they will then book you in for your kind of first scan, which is normally around day two or three of your cycle. And I should just caveat this, by the way, with what I'm explaining, this is the process my clinic went through. There's lots of different um, variations on it. Some people take nasal sprays and the pill, all kind of different things, but this is my experience. And so yeah, so I went into the clinic on what was day two or maybe it was day three of my cycle and they do an internal scan. And what that does is to check your follicles and to count how many follicles that are and you kind of get from there a, a rough idea of therefore how many eggs you may look to grow and so from there they will then decide the quantities of the various hormones that you're going to inject yourself with 
And it starts with injecting yourself with a hormone to stimulate your follicles. So typically in our cycle, we grow a mature one egg, which is then released each month. The process of egg freezing and the hormones you take is to actually stimulate follicles to grow multiple eggs so that you can obviously retrieve them. So you start by stimulating them for the first few days. I went into the clinic probably every two to three days, again, for scans. And in each of those scans, what they're doing is actually measuring the size of the follicle. And that gives them an indication of if an egg is growing and if it's going to mature. And once they reach a certain stage, they then ask you to um, start taking a second hormone, which is one that you take to actually stop those eggs releasing. So what you're essentially doing is stimulating your hormones i.e growing those follicles but also then stopping them releasing so physically what you start to get over a period of time is bloating and swelling because you are literally physically growing inside of you and increasing kind of the space in your tummy i guess and that period goes on for well it varies for every individual but between about 9 and 13 days of having these injections for me doing the actual injections i'm lucky i'm not no i'm not scared by needles if you are i think it's an incredibly grueling process i also live alone and I therefore had to administer them all myself. The first day of doing it I was so nervous because I was petrified of getting it wrong and you kind of get given a demonstration of how to do it when you're at the clinic but you're you're shown on like a you know a, a faux piece of skin memory foam and they kind of tell you all this information of what you've got to measure out and then you insert this and I was just like whoa okay when I get home hopefully it will all it will all make sense but you get a lot of guides and the kind of when the medication comes. For me it was actually okay doing the first one you you injected just below your belly button which commonly for a lot of women is where you have a bit of kind of the squishier tummy which is very useful and they kind of advise you to kind of rotate which side of your stomach that you inject it in so that you don't kind of get any soreness or swelling but actually you know it's fairly quick and simple and I just got into the process of just getting it done I actually tried to I guess make it less of a big deal I would send my families which they probably hated but time lapses of me kind of injecting my tummy and like me squeaming a little bit when the injection went in but actually it was fine my first cycle was really pretty okay and so you do that for a period of time as I say you go in and out for these scans and once your follicles reach a certain size which I think in my case is over 18 millimeters they then give you what's called a trigger shot and that has to be done at a very very specific time because by the name suggests what that does is to actually trigger your follicles to release those eggs and that's within 36 hours so um, from 36 hours of taking that injection you then go into the clinic to have your retrieval that trigger shot was quite painful for me and I found that actually more emotional in a way than I found the others I think I'd become quite matter of fact about it for my first cycle certainly but yeah you have your trigger shot and then you actually go into the clinic 36 hours later and you go in for the retrieval procedure I had no idea if I'm honest going into it what it would really be like and I'm quite glad I didn't in that I've never been in a hospital before I've been fortunate I've never had any operations or anything like that but you're put in a gown and all that kind of stuff and then you're given the anesthetic it's a twilight anesthetic they call it so you are completely sedated but it's only for about 45 minutes and you're wheeled into the operating theatre and then they they do the actual process you're obviously fast asleep for it you don't feel anything lasts as I say about 45 minutes and then when you come around, I mean, it was the best thing. I felt like I'd had the longest, loveliest sleep at first, but then you feel a bit groggy and in quite a lot of pain because obviously they have been kind of playing around with you inside, injecting follicles. It's quite 
a gruelling thought, really, when you think about what they actually do to you. And then the hardest bit for me was actually sitting there and waiting for them to come and tell me how many eggs that I'd retrieved. Um, because that's ultimately what you're going into this process. You want to get a certain number of eggs or you've got an idea of how many eggs you want to get. I will never, ever forget my first cycle. The, I can't remember what they're called. I want to say embryologist. That might not be the right name, but she came over to tell me I had four eggs. And I was just gutted because I'd heard so many stories of people getting 15, 20 eggs. My expectations have been set quite high and I think I had 17 follicles. So I was expecting, you know, 10 plus, but it was what it was. I, I couldn't change that. And so I got told I had the four eggs. Actually, later on that day, I got called to say six were now matured because they actually, when they release the, uh, retrieve the eggs, they do then try and allow any that look like they may mature, they allow them the rest of that day. They know pretty quickly if they're going to mature or not. But yeah, that was that big moment of, okay, I've just gone through this whole process, which lasts about a month in total because you go through the injections, you then have the retrieval, and then there's a recovery period where obviously you're just, your body is kind of getting used to everything that's just happened all the hormones that you've gone through the actual physical side of the operation so yeah there's a lot that goes into it that you're then like oh we only got four eggs but equally four was better than nothing and for some women even getting one is a huge success story and for some women they don't get any so I, I know I was very lucky it was just my expectations were so high and that was something I learned going into the second and third cycle was don't have such high expectations and just trust the process yeah Wow, there's so much information there. I feel like anyone who's listening needs to like get their phone notes out and write everything <laughs> down. I'm writing stuff down. Like, oh my God. I wanted to ask, because you talked about the physical effects. So how obviously it caused bloating when you'd obviously were pumping the hormones into your body. But what about the psychological effects? And I know that this affects everybody individually. I've heard, I have a few friends now who've been through this process in the past year and some have had extreme emotional reactions to the hormones and some didn't really feel any change so I guess I'd love to just hear for you how that was and also were you able to work and carry on with your regular routine whilst you were doing this yeah so I was actually really fortunate I didn't hugely have any major emotional effects I think I'd done quite a bit of work going into it in terms of getting my head into the right headspace about it so as much as anything it was kind of more of a mental headspace for me but the hormones didn't actually hugely affect me I don't tend to suffer any major PMS with my normal cycle so I guess that was probably a good indication that I'm not someone who gets really severe mood swings or anything like that so I didn't find it hugely challenging for my first cycle emotionally obviously there was definitely a bit of resentment I found when I was doing the first injections I was like for god's sake as if it's come to this I'm having to inject myself to you know potentially produce a baby and anger and frustration but I quickly again tried to flip that to yes but at least I'm doing something about it and I've been able to take control and in terms of kind of work yes I was fortunate I was able to continue to work throughout the period of having the injections for my first and second cycle my third cycle was a whole different story when I really suffered but the first two cycles yeah I was able to continue I had a really supportive boss at the time who allowed me to go to the various appointments that I had they tended to be early in the morning for the scans I obviously had to have the day off for the actual retrieval itself and you then needs at least 24 hours to recover that for me was actually the hardest part because I did not take 24 hours to recover I took about a week so I was back in work but I was physically just walking was in quite a lot of pain so I had to take it quite easy and I was very very tired but again work was super super supportive I think I had my retrieval on a Friday so I then had the weekend to recover but otherwise normally I think I would have probably needed at least two days off and um, to actually recover from it from a physical uh, standpoint. I think there's an important lesson there 
just from your story of communicating it with your with your manager your boss you know your employers if you are someone who is employed and I guess if you're not maybe communicating it with clients or just making sure that you give yourself that space and time especially after that you said because from what I've heard most people are able to work even if they may be feeling a little bit emotional and hormonal during that time it's the recovery after the retrieval that sometimes takes a little bit longer yeah and everyone does experience it so differently some people have more of the emotional hormonal effects some people have more of the physical effects in my three cycles the first two I had a pretty easy ride I say that in inverted commas but I did I look back and it was it was relatively straightforward other than the fact my second one was just at the point COVID became a thing that I managed to get it in before we went into lockdown. The third cycle was a whole different story and I experienced all the physical side effects. I had, my stomach was like a pincushion covered in bruises. I was knocked out in terms of just needing to be in bed for two or three days within the like injection process. That did take time out of work. And then I actually had a really awful experience of one that retrieval happened. I then became very unwell and ended up in hospital for two days. So that process was not fun and very, very physically grueling. And had that been my experience in the first cycle, it may well have impacted whether or not I'd have felt comfortable to go on and have cycle two and three. So in that sense, I'm grateful that it was my last cycle or my last planned cycle, should I say, because who knows if I'll do any more. But yeah, broadly, I was quite lucky. Again, I did my research, so I really looked into what some of the possible side effects could be. But I think what you said around giving yourself the time and space and kind of just knowing that you're going to be a bit out of it for a few weeks. And I'm someone who exercises a lot for my mental health. You have to stop all exercise, or not all, but you have to stop the majority of exercise for that for about a month. So for the period of doing the injections and then also the recovery. And I'm training to be a Pilates teacher. And Pilates is one of the main things that you're not allowed to do Pilates in yoga because you risk something called ovarian torsion which is if you're twisting your ovaries can get twisted so that was probably the bit I struggled more mentally was I couldn't do my typical outlet of exercise that's my kind of daily practice that keeps me feeling okay so again I just had to mentally prepare for that and identify okay well I could go on a nice walk or I could try and do something else that allowed me to kind of feel mentally okay yeah I think it's so important and you've come back to this point a few times is to is mindset when you go into this and I think it sounds to me like even though you're not brushing over the fact that it was a very difficult time and you mentioned feelings of anger and resentment when you were doing those injections the first time I think so many women who probably go to those first appointments and start with the injections start with this process probably do experience that feeling of well this isn't what I expected this isn't what I thought and I, and I knew I, I know from personal experience that when I went to my first consultant appointments and then when I did those the initial fertility tests had exactly the same feelings just in a way it was just like uncertainty and just not knowing that not having ever predicted it and lots of thoughts around that but it must you know I'm a huge believer in humans as holistic beings and I think if you go into something like this with that mindset and you're stuck on that and you feel angry and sad and frustrated and all of those things and you don't take care of your mental health during that time and, and you know coach yourself through it and and really work on that then it probably will affect how your body responds yeah. to it and it will probably affect how many eggs you get in the end and yeah. also make the process a lot worse emotionally so how much do you think mindset is a is a part of it I I definitely think it's a huge part of it. I'm a big believer too in that kind of more holistic side of things. And I do think if you go into it 
kind of expecting it to be terrible, then things do start to kind of manifest. Obviously, there's an element here where it's just science and it's how your body reacts. But why did my body react so, so differently and badly in the third cycle? Probably I went into it in a different mindset of the pandemic stolen a year of my life, more anger, more frustration. Can't believe I'm now, I must have been, yeah, it was 34 rather than 33 when I done my first two cycles. I was like, I can't believe I'm still here. And also by then, I guess I'd started to, because I hadn't got the number of eggs I wanted from my first two cycles, I think I went in just feeling a bit like, oh, well, what's even the point? And the, the one emotion that I think really kind of played out for me the most in the process, which I tried to keep at bay, was this kind of loneliness and the isolation of it. And we've touched on it briefly, but it's where in most cases, um, and granted not everyone, but IVF, you tend to be going through it with a romantic partner. So you tend to have that kind of support there. And in my case, for egg freezing, you're doing the first stage of IVF, the grueling part of all the injections and, you know, the waiting to see how many eggs, but you're doing it on your own. So I was allowed a chaperone in for my first two cycles. And actually they request you to have one because when you wake up, you're not, you're kind of physically not really that with it. But for my third cycle, I had to go in on my own. No one was with me because it was mid-COVID. I had to wake up on my own. I had to leave the clinic on my own where I felt awful. And there was definitely just this overwhelming of, I can't believe I'm doing this on my own. And it's kind of that like final kick in the teeth. You're like, so I haven't met the partner to have children with. And now I'm going through this whole period process on my own. That was definitely the harder part. And it's something we talk about in our coaching. Future Nikki, i.e. Nikki right now from back then is super, super happy that I did it. And I'm so proud proud of myself I look back on Nikki then and go well done that you did this well done that you kind of took the opportunity to do something about the fact the fact that you were single and you didn't have kids and all of those kind of things so but it's definitely that mindset of going future me will appreciate this my god this future Nikki appreciate that I've done what I've done especially during a pandemic which just threw the whole world into kind of disarray and the article that I did around in Cosmopolitan was about the pandemic stole a year of my life but actually egg freezing gave me some of that time back because that's essentially what it does it allows you to freeze your eggs at the age that you are when you have the freezing done and that's been something I've been super super grateful for. Wow I love that we just got the future you work in there that's something that I do with all of my clients but it's just so true and it's something to keep you going so if for anyone doing it and I know I'm going to use this for myself when I do start the process is that just that one thought that can change everything that one question you know what would future me feel right now you know yeah. what would she what would she tell me when I'm having doubts when I'm feeling lonely when I'm feeling scared all of those things and it's so empowering to hear from you how you feel now you've done it and that was going to be my next question was it's now behind you if you don't mind sharing and you don't have to how many like eggs were you able to get from all of the three cycles and and now based on that how you've already mentioned it you just feel so grateful and proud of yourself but what has that done for you has it given you a sense of freedom that you didn't have before yeah definitely so in terms of the number of eggs the number of eggs i got and I got 22. It's a little bit like, you know, asking a fitness influencer how much they weigh. It, like, it kind of doesn't matter. So um, I don't want that to be a benchmark for anyone else because I'll never forget in my third cycle, the girl next to me, because you're just separated by a curtain, got 25 eggs in one round. And I was on my third round and I got nine, which total got me to 22 in total. And I was like, wow, I've just gone through three rounds of this and she's come in and had one round. So that horrendous comparison culture doesn't really get you anywhere. But yes, that the, the kind of benchmark was between 20 and 24 eggs gives you a relatively good chance of having a child from that, of going on to fertilize an egg. So that was kind of my goal was to get to the 20 plus and that's 
that's kind of where I've managed to get to. At the moment, I'm not planning to do any more, but who knows, ask me in a year's time and I may well do. And you can also do freezing eggs, but you can also freeze embryos. So if I decided in a year's time, for example, I may go through another round or I could use my existing eggs and I may get a sperm donor and then you could then freeze an embryo. And they tend to have a slightly higher chance of going on to be a successful pregnancy. So there are pros and cons to it. But I guess in terms of like how I feel with it now and the impact it's had, freedom is a really good word. It's also that kind of insurance policy that we talked on at the start. And whilst it may not pay out, I feel better that I've got something rather than nothing, I guess. But also it's changed my mindset in terms of how I'm going into perhaps looking at relationships. So like last summer when I was dating, it definitely meant that I wasn't going into date one and being like, are you going to be father of my children? Are we going to get married? You know, that classic thing that us girls do so well. I stereotype there, but I'm I'm a typical person at that. And actually it allowed me to be like, let's just go with this. Let's see if this relationship might be something that works for me. Let's not rush into, he has to be Mr. Right right now. And you need to know in date one because my biological clock is ticking. It's definitely allowed me to kind of take some of that pressure off and therefore enjoy living a bit more in the moment. I am the world's biggest by nature my job is to run events so that's very much ingrained in me but I guess for me almost by doing the egg freezing it's like well I've planned that potential future because I've got this insurance policy that may or may not pay out but it's there that's allowed me to live a little bit more in the here and now and not focus so heavily on having to have a child by being with a romantic partner because actually I could decide and I have indeed toyed with it I could decide to go on and have a child on my own. And that's a really empowering thing to do because then it means I'm not relying on someone else. So yeah, it's definitely it's definitely been an empowering experience. And that's one of the buzzwords I know you and I use a lot in my coaching. It's something that comes back to how I feel and kind of creates that authentic me that I've always craved. Yeah, and I resonate so much with what you just said. And I'm really happy we're actually talking about this thing about the relationship. Because I feel like people are starting to talk more and more about the process of egg freezing and, and talking more about, you know, the science behind it and all of the things. But no one's really speaking that authentically about what it can actually do to your mind. And that word insurance policy, I think that's the key because it's not really an insurance policy. Like you said, no one knows. You can't predict the future. You just do not know if those eggs are going to defrost well and be good quality and all of the things that have to happen afterwards to actually have a baby. But for me. I resonated exactly with what you said about the way you now approach meeting people and dating and sharing your story with potential romantic partners can be so different because I had the same thing. So to be vulnerable and and share my story is that I went through a breakup of a serious relationship where we were speaking about having children in the next 12 months. That was almost a year ago. And I did start dating reasonably soon after the breakup, the months after. And I felt this pressure. I did. I went on dates and I was already thinking, you know, doing the timeline thing. Well, if I'm already this age now and I want to be with somebody at least for a couple of years before, you know, and you know, doing the the relationship math in your in your head. And all of a sudden I was like, this isn't good. It just felt wrong. It felt icky. It felt like I was going on dates with people and it almost felt like interviewing them, even though when I actually like tore it all back and kind of like pulled apart all the pieces and, and I realized like I I didn't need to be doing this. It just, it wasn't authentic me. It wasn't genuine. I wasn't allowing somebody to get to know the real me. I wasn't giving the real, the relationship a real chance by going into it with this almost fear-based motivation of finding somebody who would eventually be able to create that home for me in terms of a man who can 
bring a child into the world with me. And that's when I started to explore. It was a few months later and all of a sudden, as soon as I made that decision that I was going to do it, before I'd even done the tests, before I'd even committed to anything, I just said in my head, oh, this is an option. This is genuinely something that can happen now. And it is going to be a grueling process and it is going to be a financial strain and it is going to be something that's going to be a big deal in my life but I can and that word empower is so important I felt felt really independent and really empowered and really just like you know what I need to date for me and not not for my future child and it shifted everything and I think that it's really important that you know to understand that most women and this is what the doctor told me most women who freeze their eggs anyway and we're talking in their mid thirties and not talking about necessarily if you're freezing them kind of more to the age of 40, but most women who freeze them in their mid thirties go on to successfully bring children into the world without ever even defrosting their eggs. But just having them there enables them to go and meet somebody without that pressure. And the doctor even used a, a funny, he said to me, you know, you can go down to the cafeteria right now of the, of the clinic and you, you might even just meet your future husband there and you'll be able to have a nicer conversation with him because, you know, he doesn't, you know, it's not pressure for him to be the future dad. Now, I didn't meet the guy in the cafeteria. I did go to look. He wasn't there. <laughs> but, you know, I just think we've used that buzzword insurance policy a lot. And I think I just wanted to, you said it as well, to be very honest about how it can change dating. It just can change it. Totally. And you know, one thing that really surprised me as well when I was dating last summer is one of the guys I dated, I told him about my egg freeze and he actually asked me about it. I think I'd referenced that I had to have a procedure. I didn't really know how to bring it up, but he ended up asking me about it. And he was just like, wow, that's amazing that you've done that. That's so inspirational. I love that you've taken kind of control of things. The same happened when I put it on my Instagram, whenever I did the Cosmo article. Oh no, it must've been when I did my last cycle last October. I had about four male friends reply to me being like, oh my God, thank you so much for sharing this. Like, this is amazing. I love that you've taken control of it. How empowering. So it wasn't just females who were responding to me. And actually like that for me is all around breaking down the taboo isn't just around females being able to talk about it more openly. It's also about men being able to talk about it more openly because your situation might be that you're in a romantic relationship, you're with the man of your dreams and you're, I don't know, 31, but you, you know for sure you don't want kids for another five, six years. You can go and have your eggs raised and if you wanted to then and then know that you'll come back to them in five or six years. So it's not just for single women, it's for anyone to have access to. So the more we talk about it, the more informed people are and the less of a taboo it becomes. And that's like the best result possible. Yeah. And I also have started openly sharing it, not with every single guy that I've ever been on a date on, but if it's come up in conversation, then I've mentioned oh, something that I'm, you know, had some tests and I'm, I'm planning on doing it soon. And I've never had a negative response. I've always had, wow, that's so amazing. Like, you know, I think it just shows that we're independent and, you know, be able to do that and make, take the decision into our own hands. And actually a couple of guys have even been like, oh, actually my sister's just going through it. She also did it or, you know, they know. And that's because it's becoming a little bit more popular. But sometimes I'm not sure, maybe it's just because we're both women entering our into our mid thirties that we, maybe that's why it's become more popular. But I do think that it's not just that. I think that in general, it's becoming more accessible. And I, I, I told my, um, my grandma who, she's definitely featured on the podcast before because I always talk about how she's like the social conditioning of you yeah. should have kids by now and if not you're an old maid 
absolutely love your grandma, but she just has that old school way of thinking. And I was really nervous to tell her that I was going to do it because I just thought, oh God, what's she going to say? And she was like, darling, that's fabulous. That's so space age. <laughs> love that space age. I, mean, so I was like, yeah, we are, we are space age in our decision. <laughs> Amazing. I feel like I could ask you a million more questions, but we are coming towards the end. So I'm going to ask you one more. And that is, is there anything else that you would like to share uh, a piece of advice or just any other information with any listeners who are thinking of getting their eggs frozen, whether they're already in the process or now after hearing this, want to go and look into it? Yeah, I mean, I guess the one thing I would say I found really useful, and you touched on it earlier, was the podcast Freezing Time. I found that such an insightful podcast to listen to. I actually started, it came out, I think it was last summer. So it was by the time I was midway through my second cycle. But what Sophia actually addresses in that is a whole range of questions around egg, egg freezing. So not just what the process is, but she's, she's going through the process. She talks about her personal experience, but also she talks to people who've gone on to have success with egg freezing, to people who've had no success with it, to people that have done it for a variety of reasons. So for me, it's just that knowledge is power, education, research. And I found the podcast a really, really effective way to do that. And then the only other thing I guess I would really say is just reach out and talk to people about it that support network is so so important you don't have to do what I've done you don't have to come on a podcast you don't have to be um, have your story in Cosmopolitan of course you don't and I only did that you know I did mine last year but actually talking to people normalizing it and being open about what you're going through I think is really important because you will need that support network of friends and family even if it's just to text to check in you know once in the week and just be like how are you doing or your chaperone at the um, retrieval having that is kind of invaluable especially if you're going through it on your own and I also found actually talking to other friends in a similar age group who were also single was really helpful because it kind of just made me feel like I had that support network around me as well but yeah I think just for me my advice is it's worked really effectively for me to be open about it and I'm very very happy if anyone wants to contact me direct message me etc on Instagram very happy to answer any questions people may have but I'll come back to what I said knowledge is power so if you feel that you're you're intrigued or you want to book in for those open evenings they happen all of these clinics certainly in the UK they're free to attend and then go on and have the fertility MOT if it feels right for you and then make a decision from there it all comes back to that personal choice but I think it can be an incredibly empowering process and don't be put off by some of the scaremongering that you you will see and hear and the stories of how physically grueling it was my third cycle was physically grueling but do I regret it absolutely not I'm so glad I did it so yeah think of future you and think about what's going to best serve her Wow. So many pearls of wisdom there. Really love that. And I do just want to say the point about reaching out to other friends who are single, who are going through it. It's so important because probably you'll find another friend who has the same questions or who's also going through it. And then you can go through it together. Maybe it's not going to be exactly at the same time, but really, really important. And I think a lot of women our age do exist in friendship groups where maybe most of their friends probably do have kids by now and probably you know are going in a different stage of life but maybe some of them are going through IVF at the same time and also will be able to support and help from their experience and I'm sure that there are people around you there might be a colleague at work who's single or you know a friend of a friend and just like you said don't hesitate to reach out and actually when I started posting a little bit about egg freezing and recommending Sophia's podcast freezing time on my Instagram a few people actually reached out to me and then I discovered that a few of my friends were also having their eggs frozen this year and I didn't even know. So yeah, I really, I love that point. I love all the points, but that was just a really good one to end on. And um, I just really want to thank you because 
for me, this has been honestly one of my favorite podcast episodes in terms of just how authentic and genuine you've been and so honest and open and speaking about such an important topic. So I appreciate it so, so much. And also your offer to help and anyone with any questions, super lovely. Maybe we'll even do a, a live, a Q&A live um, after this has been aired. Where can people find you if they do want to ask a question and what's your Instagram handle? So my Instagram handle is at NikkiClaire1, which is N-I-K-K-I-C-L-A-R-E and then the number one, which I have to spell out because I've got a weird spelling. But yeah, reach out to me. Very happy to answer any questions. Would very happily do a live, of course, as well. But also, yeah, there's so many resources out there now. If you wanted to read my article, it's in Cosmopolitan. I believe it's also on their website. So if you search for that, you'll be able to read kind of a bit of my story there. But yeah, super happy to talk to anyone and give any advice that I can. Amazing. And maybe in the show notes, actually, I'll link your Instagram and also the the article. So just thank you so much again, Nikki. It's been such a pleasure. And I'll see everyone on the podcast next week.